0: This week on Writers Inc. I very much don't write the same book, and that's, you know, I might be, I might be making more money. Worried to do that, um, you know, I don't write series; I write standalones. And I'm, when I, at the outset of every novel, I'm so excited to discover a new world, to discover new, new people, and you know, of course, they're all thrillers, but you know, there's not necessarily always a mystery to be solved. It, it, I just want to follow these people. J.K. Rowling was nearly homeless when she wrote the first Harry Potter book. Stephen King penned Carrie in a small desk wedged between a washer and dryer. James Patterson worked in advertising and famously crafted the Toys R Us theme song long before becoming an author. Join New York Times bestseller J.D. Barker and Indie Powerhouse's Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon as they pull back the curtain on some of the world's most prolific authors. Where did they start? What is their process? The biggest names in publishing all have origin stories, all have tips and secrets. What does it take to consistently top the best seller lists and become a household name? Get your notepad out. School's in session. This
1: is Writer's Inn. The lawyered up thing, like I, I don't <laughs> I don't see how we can get past that. Something's going on here. Um Yeah, so
2: <laughs> a couple couple things going on here. So after after three weeks, my wife and daughter are finally home, so like all is right in the world. I was gonna say that, 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 that sucks. in my house that's a good thing i'm just (laughs) um and and i'm suing my neighbors (laughs) oh no finally yeah like it it came down to that um this has just gotten completely out of hand and i I know people have been following this drama on the the podcast on and off but i'm just going to kind of go go over what's been happening so being in new england like none of the property lines are straight and like my little development, it used to be a farm. It was something called the McDonald Farm. Um, and at one point in like 1954, it, it, the the primary owners sat down and they sketched out the the blueprint or the plan for the this little housing development. And there's five houses here. It literally is drawn on like a napkin. And I've got a copy of it. Um, so they they figured out where the road was going to go, where the houses were going to go, this and that. Then when they actually started building, they realized that my house is actually sitting on a giant granite rock. And like they either had to you know get dynamite and blow that apart, or they had to like relocate a couple of the houses and relocate where they were going to put the road. They decided to relocate everything, but they never actually adjusted the official plot map or the survey. Uh, after after doing that so the the lot lines are really strange and in front of my house right in my very front yard in front of my office window there's this tiny little triangle it's 237 square feet that looks from every angle as if it belongs to my property and it's always been maintained by whoever owned my house Um, but it's physically owned by the people who live next door so it creates this huge amount of animosity because it's their land, but they're not allowed to touch it. And I can landscape it. I can do whatever I want to it. I could put a sign on there that says "Fuu, people suck" and point it at their house. And and you know, like I'm allowed to do that, and they can't step on that property and take it out. Um, so as you can imagine it's been like a Hatfield-McCoy situation you know not only for me but you know after, after I had a, a PI that I hired to research this and this goes back through three generations of people that have lived in these houses they've all fought over this um, <clears throat> so anyway like it's just it's come to a head and over the winter um, that my neighbors went out there on this little plot of land and they put stakes in the ground and put rope up and basically roped off this little triangle <laughs> in the, the front of my house um, which they're not allowed to do um, so we've, we've done everything we could to try and resolve this, But at, at this point, I just you know, sent a nice big retainer check to my attorney and said, it's in your court now. Do what you need to do. Um, so he's, he's dropping that lawsuit tomorrow. So by the time this airs, it's, it's going to have hit. So we'll see. If I'm not here next week, that means my neighbor received said lawsuit, you know, walked over here with a shotgun and ended it in their own way. But other, otherwise, we're going to see how this go, plays out in court.
1: Wait a minute. You, <laughs> your, house, your house is built... On a farm that was named McDonald, like as in like Old McDonald's <laughs> farm. <laughs> old McDonald's farm, man. You're making. This I didn't up. even catch that. <laughs> yeah,
2: I, I, I caught it like two years ago, and like that's gotten so old, I didn't feel the need to bring it up. But <laughs> yeah, you go, Jay, bring <laughs> bring it up. <laughs>
3: is your oh. is your lawyer going to be a, char- a character in a book? So you get him for free? <laughs> no, I. I... <laughs> That's actually a
2: good idea. (laughs) I I may need to do that. I actually put my plumber in one of my books, which is another story uh, because this guy's just awesome. Um, Yeah, I mean, without going into that I'll, I'll, too much, but I, I, basically, I had a, a novel that I, I plotted out, came up with the, the outline and everything for it, and like it was a really cool, it's a really fast-paced story. Um, and yeah, I know it, the book is gonna, you know, it's gonna be fast-paced as well. But I, I started thinking about the lead character, and I was like, I don't want to write another police detective, and like it didn't necessarily have to be. So I said, well, what if I make this guy a plumber, and like the whole story just got way more interesting when I had a plumber doing some. Yeah, of the this things sounds that I like some great
3: erotica you've written. <laughs>
2: <laughs> anyway i'm I'm gonna stop talking now before i get myself in, in trouble you're about to lawyer up on me <laughs> yeah exactly
1: oh, oh zach i don't even know how you follow that uh <laughs> what are you up to these
3: days <laughs> man it's like so it's, it's been, i guess it's been kind of sort of interesting week i've been um I've, I've just i'm uh probably after we're done with this or tomorrow morning i'll have my my latest book all done and ready to Upload the final version and all that. It comes out next Friday, April 15th, or I guess this Friday as it's recording. So um, I also got accepted for a book bub for book one in that series, which the book pub is running the 16th. So the day after the new book comes out, which is great. Um, so I'm probably going to run <coughs> sales on books one, two, and three. Um, and then I'll have four five and six at full price and have six brand new. So hopefully it'll push some traffic. Uh, to that book, which is, which is really cool. Um, so that's stuff that's been really most of my week. I also, um, got, so I've started keeping a little notebook. I'll show you guys like one of these little pocket moleskin books just to write down ideas. And usually I do it on my phone or whatever, but I was like, I want to try something analog and like not like have a pen and paper to like write down ideas and stuff. And I ended up the other day, uh, uh while my daughter was playing at a playground, uh, on a on a playground, I sat on a bench and I basically plotted an entire nonfiction book <laughs> that I've been trying to that I've been kind of like fumbling around for a long time and tr- and and trying to grasp exactly how, what I wanted to do. Um, and I basically came up with the entire concept, an entire like outline and everything. Is it is played. it a parenting
1: book? <laughs>
3: uh, it'll have a little bit of that
1: in there. It's kind of tied it, in a little bit to
3: creator. How, dad how to a keep
1: your kid alive in the playground when you're not paying attention to what she's doing? <laughs> well, here. <laughs> so here's the thing
3: on that. That the, the reason I take her to this this park, it's not that I'm not paying attention to. Her I'm to just totally. I know. I'm joking. I know you're messing. But I, this park. It's entirely surrounded by like a fence, except for there's only one way to get in and out. So it's actually, it's and awesome. It's, because me. it's perfect. You, <laughs> what'd you say?
2: I said, And it's through me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> but no, it's like easy to keep track of her and stuff. Cause there's no, you know, it'd be hard for someone to like run in there and take her for her to disappear or something. So, um, but yeah, so I feel like that's pretty much everything that I've been working on. But, uh, can you give us I a, little, know, a little hint well,
1: on that on that nonfiction book?
3: A little hint on what, what it's about. It's kind of it's gonna be like um, I guess kind of like about what it about living a creative life and kind of what that really looks like. Um, so it'll be kind of like a productivity, inspiration, lifestyle type of book. So um, I have a title on everything, but I'm not gonna say it yet because I actually want to write it. So. <laughs>
2: All right, so going back um, to like, analog, actually writing this down in a physical yeah. notebook, are are you finding that um, like difficult to keep that notebook with you at every given given time, or like are you making notes on scrap of, scraps of paper and then sliding them into the right page in the the, the paper book? Because like that's the kind of stuff I used to do before I went electronic with it. So I'm just yeah. wondering why the why you've gone the other route.
3: Um, it's just honestly just trying something. I, I um, Austin Kleon, who I'm a big fan of, talks a lot about um, you know using like using an analog method like that for like idea brainstorming and for like coming up with your ideas and only using the computer when you actually have to get it to a point where it's like, you're going to get ready to publish or whatever. And so, um, cause I'm like you, I've, I've I like having notes on my phone and stuff, but I'm, I don't know. Like I like writing things down and, um, uh, but to answer your question, like it's small enough where I can throw it in my pocket whenever Um, and, and it's, it's also kind of an intentional thing where like, like when I went to the park, I knew I was going to sit there and I was either going to read or I was going to like brainstorm some ideas. So like I made sure I had it with me. If I am, if I'm just kind of like in a pinch, like you're talking about, I'll still go to my phone and like do a note or, uh, I know you use your watch too, which I, I I'll use the voice memos app that's on the, um, that's built into the, the Apple watch and it goes straight to the app on the phone and everything. So I'll do that too. But I'm also, to be honest with you, and this is actually one of the things I'm gonna write about in this book. I rarely write my, like if I have an idea, I don't write them down. Like this is more for like, I'm going to brainstorm and come up with like, sort of stuff because i'm my whole thing with like an idea and i'm not saying that's what you're saying necessarily but like is that if an idea is good enough i'm not gonna like stop thinking about it and i'm not gonna forget it and if it disappears and i do forget about it it wasn't that big of a deal in the first place
2: so well, I, I think that's something that king says in on writing or somewhere i know i've, I've heard him say that he, he got it from me before he got it from you yeah, yeah. that's, right. <laughs> that's <what I> <laughs> And my biggest thing was I just, I I used to use the notebook and I just never had it like it, like it never seemed to be with me when I needed it to be. Um, and then the other part that I would run into is I would come up with, you know, like, a. I guess like a one sentence or something that I want to drop in somewhere. And yeah. like, I'd have to figure out how to squeeze that into the the notebook, you know, where, you know, so you're, you're writing in the margins or I, I was anyway, and you know, things like that are adding pages where there weren't pages before. So, yep. but um, I, I totally get it. You know, like it, changing mediums can, can, can change a lot of things about the way that you brainstorm. So it makes, that's sense. the
3: whole thing. And it's, it's again, it's, it's being intentional. Like I'm taking it with me when I know I'm going to probably use it for that type of thing. And but if I have something come to me in a pinch, I have other ways that I can I can do that. But we'll see. I may end up hating it. And but it's it was nice for this one thing because it was. I just sat there without any distractions of my phone or device or whatever, and I just wrote, and it was it was pretty awesome.
2: So. Yeah, those moments where you know you're going to ignore your daughter, you've got it right there. I mean, <laughs> Absolutely. <just point laughs> that ahead.
3: She's good. She can take care of. She can get home if she needs to. Hey, so. speaking
2: of ignoring people, so I've been trying to chase down my book formatter for like the last two months. Um, for she has a broken thing where her heart should be. I I made some changes. You know, I got a couple people that emailed me with typos in the book, um, and you know, with any in, any published title, it's real easy You go into your document, make a couple changes, and throw it back out on kdp um i I did that and then the amazon kdp system flagged the 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 printed pages saying that a couple of words were kind of out in the margin and they're basically if you look at the screenshot that they give you it's right there on the edge um but i need to have a formatter fix that and my formatter went mia so i'm just throwing this out on the podcast if anybody has a good formatter um i'm in i'm in need i'm looking (laughs) i I told you to send it to me and i would look at it Really? If you really want to do yeah, that, I'll it seriously,
3: send it to me, and I'll look at it before we get any of these chumps who listen to the show today.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need to knock it out. I mean, this has been going on for a couple of months. Yeah, send it to me, and then,
3: like, you know, people still email him, because it might not been, but I'll look at it.
2: Yeah, um, and I just, I made a note, I, I don't know how many people have saw, uh, saw this, but Blake Crouch's um, Dark Matter, uh, it's coming to television. Um, it got greenlit, um, so that's that's going to be happening soon. And I think he's coming back on the podcast, so hopefully we can get him to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Hopefully. I'm
3: stoked about that. So that's yeah. an awesome book. So I I want to know, Jay, I want to know with you really quick. Did your um it, it, are are you and your wife still working at home together or one of you go into a co-working space or what's
1: up with that? Oh, uh, nice we're still we're still figuring out the rhythms. Uh <laughs> <laughs> She is she's not here today. She had to she had to meet some people at a at a location today. Uh but um yeah, we're still we're, we're okay. still trying to figure that okay. out. That sounds a little ambiguous. You didn't do something, did you? No, I mean, no. She, she, she's okay. <laughs> yeah, she's fine. Okay. I didn't leave her to park by herself when I was sitting there writing notes or anything. so She's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Kids are resourceful these days. You don't have to watch them close. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. She's she's good. She's good. We're, I, just, you know, I just want an update. That's yeah, all. yeah. We're figuring out. It's, it's it'll be fine. It's just a little adjustment, you know. We'll see. <laughs> you,
2: you look you look a little stressed.
1: Do I? I, know, I, don't, I, know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, okay. I
2: know the, the listeners can't see that, but yeah yeah I'm, I'm sure it'll be okay
1: yeah I'm sure it will <laughs> well uh I have a sort of a update announcement I want to get to in a second but I want to mention this um I didn't plan on talking about it but it's funny that Zach brought it up I bought myself a uh a, a really nice uh Moleskin 8x10 it's got it's like a it's it's not a like a pure journal it's got like it's got some fancy formatting on it but I um I started using it for a project I was working on this week uh um, and it was all it was taking notes. so like I, I I mean, I do almost everything on the computer. my handwriting's terrible, but I found that like if I'm looking at a book and I need to take notes I, I, it for me it's so much easier than have than trying to type them as I'm reading something. yeah it's and, and like even having like the I, I, and I had this book on my Kindle, and I could set the Kindle on top of my journal. So that I have like the Kindle on the one side of the page and I'm writing on the other and it was like in my lap, I could sit at a table and I just felt like I was, there was nothing to distract me. Like I was completely focused on the task that I was doing and uh, it's, it's a, it was a brainstorming note-taking exercise. It wasn't necessarily like, you know, writing a narrative, but um, I had the same experience. I'm like, wow, this is, this is really good. Like my hand cramped up at the end of the day, but, uh, but it was good. Oh, yeah, I
2: oddly, like I talked to my doctor about this, I guess about two, three months ago. Um, My handwriting is horrible, like really, really bad. And like when I go back and look at notes that I took, like in fourth grade, fifth grade, like my handwriting was impeccable. Um, And he said that this has kind of happened to pretty much everybody. And it's mainly because our fingers have, you know, have the muscle memory now from typing and we don't physically write enough. And like your muscles actually, like it changes the the structure and the way that your hands behave. Um, So you can't write quite as much. Um, And you can actually develop carpal tunnel and other, other problems. Like if you, like you almost have to work yourself back into it, um, which, which he had brought up. Um, my handwriting is, is like so bad. I, I literally can't read it myself. And I type like 120 words a minute. So like, it's just, it's, it's so much slower for me to try to, to handwrite, but, but yeah. I, I get it. Um, I'm kind of doing the same thing with reading lately. Like I, almost every book that I pick up, like I'm purposely picking up a, a print copy. Um, because you know, I I read um, Kindle on my phone, and like unless I put it in airplane mode, you know, like I'm constantly getting these notifications from this and from that, and like it's just so freaking distracting. And it keeps reading from being enjoyable; it's not relaxing like it used to be. So you know, I make it a point to grab an actual print book and sit down in a corner, leave my phone on my desk somewhere where I can't see or hear it, and you know, try to take a little time just to to relax with a real book.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a I think that's a healthy thing to do. So. Uh, The other thing I wanted to mention, uh, pretty exciting, we, uh, as you're listening, we now have tickets available for the Author Life Summit, uh, formerly the Selmore Book Show Summit, formerly the Career Author Summit. (laughs) It is now the Author uh, Life Summit. We are hosting it in beautiful Colorado Springs, Colorado, September 10th and 11th of 2022. Uh, there'll be a link in the show notes to check it out. Um, we have some wonderful speakers, including all of the gentlemen that are on this show right now will be in attendance and, uh, and at the event and, um, make sure you check it out and, uh, and don't wait because we are keeping this at a 50 person maximum in person event. So there will be a virtual ticket and an in-person ticket, but the in-person ticket, it's going to be, it's going to be a small event. Uh, it's how we ended up running Nashville in 2021 and it was wonderful and and people begged us to do it again so uh that is officially for sale um there is a payment plan so you can purchase your ticket in full or you can spread those payments out over six months Uh, but that will be in the show notes make sure you check it out all right some other business to take care of want to uh as always give a warm shout out to kobo writing life our wonderful sponsors of the podcast if you are publishing a book Beyond just Amazon, you definitely need to get your Kobo Writing Life account set up. Uh, they have promotional opportunities. Uh, you get monthly uh, access to different ads and, 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 and promo opportunities there, and there's no exclusivity. So if you're interested, go to KoboWritingLife.com. And we want to give a, uh, a thanks to all of our wonderful patrons over there on Patreon at patreon.com writers, Inc. podcast for just a dollar a month you can submit questions to our monthly q a episode and that brings us to the guest and i almost want to ask zach to introduce the guest because of his little easter egg from last week if you guys (laughs) missed it go back and listen to the very end of the podcast but i don't want to break tradition so jd who is who's on deck for our interview this week oh man i wanted to see if zach could do it
2: We've got Carter Wilson. He's a USA Today best-selling author of eight novels, all standalone psychological thrillers. I'm I'm curious to see if you actually ask him about that because you know series series being so strong these days, you know, always fascinated when somebody is just strictly doing standalones. Uh, his latest it's called The New Neighbor. It releases uh, April 12th. So here he is, Carter Wilson.
1: Tell me a story about a life-sized baby resuscitation practice doll, gently used. <laughs>
0: yeah my my uh my old friend just happened to see that like at a garage sale and you know you see you see a baby resuscitation kit and you think well carter's got to have this (laughs) (laughs) so she bought it wrapped it up and shipped me the whole damn thing and you know i opened it up and and it was it was pretty creepy looking (laughs) which was obviously the intended consequence um but you know it, it 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 makes you think about how everyone has that thing of theirs. And, and apparently my thing is anything creepy. So if anyone sees anything creepy, they have to send it to me as if I like collect these things and put them all over my house like a psychopath. Um, but yeah, so it was I, and I still have it. I'm like, I can't throw that away. It was a beautiful gift. But what the hell do I do with this thing?
1: <laughs> if I don't explain it, it might even seem creepier that I knew that. So, uh, one of my good friends, Rachel Heron, one time said, are you on Carter Wilson's email list? And at the time I wasn't. And she said, you got to get on his list. And, uh, (laughs) (laughs) and she's like, I'm not going to tell you why just get on his list. And I gotta say, man, you write one of the most entertaining uh, author newsletters that I, I've ever seen. Uh, can you oh. talk a little bit about your approach and what you what you try to accomplish with that? Sure, and thank you. I I appreciate that, and it's it's great to get good
0: feedback because it's you know I do put a lot of work into it. I mean, it's hours worth of work every month, and you know I want to i think when i communicate with my my readers or my friends or whoever the hell is signing up for it i i want to be me i want to be you know talk about personal things i want to be revealing i want to be honest and and so you know i think of a topic every month that i think might might resonate or just something i want to talk about and then i always go into things that i'm reading things that i'm watching you know updates from my cat from my kids um so it's it's like a family letter uh, just from me to whomever. So, but it's, I think it's, I think it's very important that if you're going to do an author newsletter, you really, it's not just about self-promotion. You let the the people get to know who you are as a person a little bit. And then, that, so that's what I strive to do with it. And, you know, with hopefully some good doses of humor along the way. <laughs>
1: For sure. It's, uh, it's akin to podcasting in a bit in that just from reading your newsletters, I feel like I kind of know you right right
0: well and that that's the thing too because i listen to a lot of podcasts and i read a lot of newsletters and the ones that resonate with me you know give you that exact same sense of like oh i, I feel like if i met this person in the street like we would of course know each other and we'd be friends and and cuz i love like so a great podcast is mark maron's wtf podcast because he's so human and so vulnerable and you know curious and that's what, you know, I strive to do is is to kind of have those elements because I think that's what's interesting.
1: For sure. And uh, and it translates in many ways, uh, especially for the new book, The New Neighbor. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Aidan Marlowe and Barry, New Hampshire?
0: Yeah, I mean, like typical with all of my standalone thrillers, I had no idea what the story was going to be about. And it kind of just started with an opening scene. And in this case, I just kind of had this idea of a scene about, you know, what if you have this person, a man who's in mid thirties, who has suddenly and tragically lost his wife. uh, And he still has, and he has uh, seven year old twins and he's at her funeral, which is, you know this devastating scene. And what if he finds out at that funeral that he's won $30 million in the lottery? I just like that duality so much because I, I wanted to see like, okay how much does that crush your psyche for that to happen? And then what happens next? So that was that was the kind of start of it. The other idea that I had behind it is I just finished writing um, The Dead Husband. And that took place in a town called Bury, New Hampshire that I made up. And more importantly, it took place in this real sinister kind of house slash mansion. And I wasn't quite done with that house. Um, I wanted to explore that house more and it's, and its dark history. So I decided, what if this widower who just won all this money, move to that house um so that was kind of the setup and i didn't know where it was going to go from there but i knew that he was going to have a lot of struggles and what i what i realized probably chapter two or three and he starts receiving anonymous notes on this driveway that basically just said we were watching you and so i just wanted to throw all that at this guy and just say okay go <laughs> what are you going to do now and that's the joy in writing for me is figuring out what are you going to do and how are you going to deal with this if you can deal with it.
1: And how far in advance did you know what you were going to throw at Aiden?
0: (sighs) Not too far in advance, but I had read an article a few years ago about a house in New Jersey where that exact same thing happened. They moved into this house and they started getting these notes saying that they were being watched and, and, and that they had been watching that house for generations. I mean, really creepy shit. And I always just, I just thought that was amazing. Um, so that kind of came back to me as I was writing this. So pretty early on, I knew that he was going to start receiving these letters. I just didn't know who they were from or why they were doing it or what their purpose was and how he was going to deal with it.
1: That's nice, man. I I, I won't spoil anything. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the book. It was, oh, it was appreciate so that. good. Uh, you had so many different elements in it too, from, from sort of a whodunit to there were some paranormal aspects. But I'll tell you what 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 really uh, brought a smile on my face was Aiden's dad. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to spoil too much, but we'll just say he's you know he's Irish. We we'll just leave it at that. Um, yeah. But I'd love to know how you got the the voices of those characters. How you how you came to that. You're obviously not Irish. No, I'm not. Um,
0: <laughs> that was that was something I was very concerned about, to be honest with you. And and, and I'm not going to pretend that I did a ton of research. And I certainly have. Um, some friends who are Irish who have been in the States for quite some time, so I I kind of know what they sound like, and it was important for me not to overdo it right, Um, not to make it so heavy handed that like Okay, we get it he's Irish, Um, you know, this is a, you know, now Aiden's father is from Ireland, he comes to visit and so uh, but. You know, I know, and that's good to hear from you because who knows? Did I do this right? Did I not do this right? If, if an Irish person reads this, are they going to be like, you know, this is shite? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, I think, I think with everything is, it, you just don't overdo it and then hopefully it'll resonate.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great approach. I mean, I, I have grandparents from Ireland, but I can't say I, <laughs> I know anything about the accent or the country. So right it, it passed muster for me, if that matters for anything.
0: Yeah. And you definitely look up stuff on, online. You watch some movies and make sure like, okay, is this believable to me? And if it is, hopefully, you know, it can be believable to most of your readers, if not all of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know just from talking to other authors and having so many conversations, uh, that you never kind of write the same book twice right right like you might have a process but you you don't exactly replicate it every single time was there was there anything different about the new neighbor uh in the in the process of writing this book versus your your other novels yeah
0: that's a good question i mean and 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 i take that that credo to heart i i very much don't write the same book and that's you know i might be i might be making more money worried to do that um you know i don't write series i write standalones and i'm when i at the outset of every novel i'm so excited to discover a new world to discover new new people and you know of course they're all thrillers but you know there's not necessarily always a mystery to be solved it, it, i just want to follow these people this one was a little bit different than, like lately i've been writing a lot from um a female point of view, which I, I I think I overall I prefer the most. Uh, it lets me get away from my own voice, <laughs> um, you know, most. So I I enjoy doing that. But this was not that case. This is, and and I wrote the the, the POV of a you know 35 year old man who's a widower and a father of twins, and so that was a little bit. You don't see a lot of. I've never written a single dad book before. Um, so that was definitely different to me, um, and certainly not one of, um, uh, foreign descent. So that was a challenge as well. But, um, but you know, like all my novels, it's just, it's just a whole new world. And that's, again, that's the joy of it all.
1: Was that your first choice for POV or did the character just say, here's, here's what you got to write, man?
0: No, it was I mean, I didn't know he was going to be Irish, um. I, 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 when I selected his name, so I select names, weirdly, it, it could just be random, it could be, sometimes I look up like, you know, rosters of Civil War dead, and I'm like, that's a cool name. Um, in this case, uh, James Clavel, Clavel wrote this wonderful book called King Rat, um, and Aiden Marlowe was, um, or maybe it was Peter Mar- I forget that it was Marlowe in, in that book, and so I wanted it to be Marlowe, and then all of a sudden it just, I mean, like, eh, maybe he's Irish, and I just, <laughs> I just went with that. I'm like, and I could see him. And that was, that's the important. I could see him in my mind. I'm like, yeah, I know who you are. Let's let's go and see where this takes us.
1: Yeah, yeah. And do you prefer a certain time of the day, a certain place that you write? Are you a binge writer? What, what's your sort of uh, in the weeds process look like?
0: Yeah, certainly not binge. I'm steady as it goes. Um, I've I. I very much believe in writing every single day, seven days a week, you know, but to sit down and write for three hours, that's a muscle I I rarely have. Um, so to me, it's about consistency. So I'm a 5 PM. I scroll away into a little kind of hidden area in my house. That's, that's an office. Um, and you know, it might be an hour it might, it might be 500 words. And, but if I do that every day, you know, it doesn't take in nine to 10 months, you can have an entire novel written. Um, but the key is doing it every day. So I'm a creature of habit. I usually do it around the same time every day and for about an hour.
1: And what's your revision process look like? Painful and lots of wine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's uh so because I believe in that consistency, because I think one of the things that most, aspiring writers struggle with is getting it done so i i take that out of the equation and i just get it done um because that's the hardest part of writing is getting it done um but that means i haven't been you know necessarily um acting like a perfectionist along the way so there's a lot of editing and and also i don't outline so i make decisions 80 percent of the book that affect (laughs) everything that preceded it Um, so yeah, so I will go, once I finish the book, I give myself a few days off and then I just start over again and, you know, it's faster, but it's, it's heavy editing and, you know, two or three rounds of that. And then I'll, I'll determine it good enough to give it to my agent.
1: Nice. When, when did you feel like you had your, your, your big break? Like when, when did you feel like I could probably do this for a living? Oh, I'm still waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I totally
0: knew. I, it. Still, I, I, mean, I still have a, another full time job. So, you know, that's part of, you know, why I don't binge right as well. It's like I have another job and that's, you know, it's important for me to have health insurance and all that good stuff. Um, my journey has been, you know, just uh, chipping away at it. You know, I would say when my third, you know, I, my, my first three books never sold. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. I've never taken a writing class in my life. Um, and then I started to sell. And, you know, my goal has always been, okay, with this next book, let's just get a little bit bigger. Let's get a little bit bigger. Um, and I, my third book at the USA Today bestseller list, and that's when I felt like at least internally like, oh, maybe I'm not terrible at this. Um, that doesn't mean I'm going to make a living doing it. Um, because you know, my, my expectations are of a very high li- living. So I would need to make a lot of money. Um, so, but it's, you know, selling, selling or optioning film rights. That's exciting. Cause you're like, Oh, maybe this will become something. But ultimately I'm always looking at my next book as like, you know, this could be the really big one. And that's, that's exciting. That's an exciting way to live life is knowing that the best could always be yet to come. And, and if you're a writer, that always exists as a possibility.
1: You seem like a pretty multifaceted guy to me. Is being a quote-unquote like full-time writer, is that even desirable? Like I, I almost think like you seem to have a lot of other interests that might not fit into that sort of isolated lifestyle
0: yeah i mean you never know until you get there right so for years of course it was i'm like i'm going to be a full-time writer and you know i there was a period of time i mean and when i'm with a job i stay with a job like forever and the last time i left a job uh was uh, 12 years ago and i took three months off before starting my next job and i took those three months and i just wrote and i'm like this is what it feels like to be a full-time writer this is this is amazing i can nap and i can do all this other stuff but yeah, I, I think I would. Yeah, I do have a lot of other interests, so you know, I am not good at being idle at all. Um, so if I were a full-time writer, I can assure you there would be a lot of other things going in my whether it's housework projects. I love to just create. I, I'm constantly creating something. Um, I would so I would I would occupy my time for sure.
1: Yeah, I want to come back to one of those hobbies in a minute, but you said something. Really interesting. And, and I wonder if this would work at a smaller scale, three months, uh, you took off, um, and, and sort of tried out the lifestyle. Uh, do you think you could do that? Like it, with less time, if you were considering this, could you take a couple weeks weeks and, and sort of get a taste for that?
0: Yes, for sure. I mean, and I've done that before. I've taken vacations where I'm just going to go somewhere for a week and write. And it's amazing because I'll write for like, you know, that's where I'll stretch my writing sessions, like two hours instead of one. But then I have the rest of the day. and And it's pretty amazing. I would be You know, and and interview like you I interview a lot of writers and 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 have a lot of friends who are writers and you start to discover the the number of people who actually can write and support themselves, you know, at a very comfortable person consistent level. Is is (laughs) feels like one in a million and it's really, really small number, so I would be a little afraid that I would have a lingering anxiety over you know, what if this book doesn't sell or how am I gonna pay for insurance or whatever? So, um, I, I, you know, when you, when you can take three months off and knowing that you're gonna be safe after that, it's not quite the same uh, feeling as those writers who are really, you know, trying to make it just by writing.
1: I really appreciate you being so honest and saying that uh, because I think that's that gets lost in a lot of places in, in writer circles. Which is there are very very few professional writers who go off into the cabin in the woods and write and that's all they do right there, there's other revenue streams there's day jobs there's investments yet i think the perception is everyone but me is doing this, is doing this full time and right. so uh thanks for thanks for sharing that
0: no i th- i i know exactly how you feel you know it's and it's very easy as a writer uh to compare yourself right i mean i feel like even when you're not trying to you do it constantly you're like well this person look look how successful they are you know new york times bestsellers don't necessarily make that much more money than <laughs> those who uh, you know because what we don't talk about a lot is the business side of things and i'm i'm a I have a business background that's, that's, I'm very steeped into business acumen. So I'm fascinated by it all, but a lot of writers don't talk about it about like, you know, how hard it is to, to, to make decent money. And, and just because you have a great book sell, what about the next book? You know, that doesn't mean that you have this like steady income for 10 years. So it's, yeah. So to me, it's all become, okay, well, how do you balance everything? That's where I put all my focuses in that balance rather than you know trying to make you know because there's only so much you can control about how your book is going to sell
1: so true uh, but part of that balance uh fascinates me uh tell me about the role photography plays in your life
0: yeah i i you know i'm i'm not a professional photographer by any means i love to take pictures i love to you know sometimes something will catch my eye back i bet i could frame that in a way that would be pretty compelling um so I tend to just take a lot of pictures and, and see what comes out of it. And to me, it's, you know when I go on vacation, that's the present that I buy myself. I come back and if I have a great shot, you know, I print it out and I frame it. And I put it on my wall, and it's it's a good memory for me. So it's it's just a hobby, but it's you know it's just another kind of creative outlet to try to kind of yeah you know, I'm a very visual person. I learn visually. I write very visually. I, I everything's in my head. I can see it all before it comes down onto the paper. Um, so it's just another way of kind of expressing that that visual part of me.
1: Nice, nice. Uh, I I think I think we're about the same age, and I think our kids are about the same age. So I, and I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. <laughs> do you do your kids think you're cool? It depends on the day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I you know I I'm actually trying to get my my son my 16 year old son right now to read uh, the new neighbor because I fucking dedicated it to him. And <laughs> he's like, he's like 50 pages in or so. He's like, no, it's good, it's good. Short sentences, I love that, short chapters. And I'm like, yeah, but I still can't compete with Xbox. <laughs> um, I, you know, there is, sometimes they get, they they do like telling their friends their their dad's a writer, their dad writes dark novels. Um, that can be kind of compelling for, for, for other teenagers. But uh, most of the time, I just think they think I'm a dork.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. That makes me feel better. Uh, we're we're extremely old, by the way, too. I don't know if you noticed we are that. Very old. But uh, old very people old. are in their late twenties, and so we're extremely old. <laughs> That's right. Uh, is it is it true that you lived in Pittsburgh at one point?
0: Yeah. Right. So I went to hotel school at Cornell, and my first job in 1992, right out of school, was a management trainee. Role at a holiday inn in Pittsburgh. So I just went there sight unseen. And uh, yeah, it was a lovely city. I I really, I was only there maybe 18 months, but I loved it. I thought it was a really cool city. I haven't, I don't know if I've been back since, but uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, That's interesting. Do you remember?
1: Which which one was it? What part of the city were you in?
0: So it was on the Carnegie Mellon campus. Um, I don't know if it's still a holiday. It and it's a nice property. I think it became a holiday in Select and then maybe something else. But um, it was beautiful. I thought that campus was amazing.
1: Wow. It's, it's funny, man. We probably crossed paths at one point because at that time I was a student at Pitt. Through about oh, okay. ninety four, so I'm sure we, oh, right I'm sure we on, were yeah. in the same areas at some point, yep. same bars maybe. <laughs> yeah, probably.
0: Yeah, I had fun there. It was. That's a cool city. It has a lot of heart to it.
1: It does. Yeah, I I haven't lived there in, in decades, but I have fond memories. So that's just, yep. that, that was interesting. JD, you lived in Pittsburgh for a while too. So I was like, oh, oh okay. Yeah. That's okay. Interesting. Yeah. Right on. Nice. Well, you uh, you mentioned that you do uh, you have a great podcast. We'll link in the show notes. Uh, you you oh, talk to you. other uh, other authors. Uh, what sort of consistent messages or, or, themes have you detected that just keeps coming up over and over again? Well, I'm, I'm real
0: interested in, you know, not even, not even just writers, but any person's kind of origin story. And that was kind of the impetus of the podcast was I just wanted to shoot the shit a little bit. And this is, it's very much like what you do actually. So, you know, you do some podcasts and just like, okay, they've got their list of questions. So they're not necessarily even listening to your answer, but they're moving on to the next question you're reacting to what i'm saying and asking questions and that's what you know i don't script it at all i'm like i don't really know you we're just going to talk like we just met at a cocktail party and you are the most interesting thing to me right now and i'm going to dig into your life that's i love doing that um so i love talking to writers about where what do you remember when you started thinking about doing this like when you started when did you become a storyteller were you thirteen? Do you have that? Do you have that specific moment? And some people do, and some people don't. Um, you know, I've noticed. You know, it's probably no surprise. A lot of a lot of writers I've talked to, you know, they're introverts and they're, they maybe traveled around a lot and you know, as a kid, and books were their constant thing. That was they were their friend. I hear that a lot. Books were my only friend, or books were my main best friend, um, and just. The idea of losing yourself in stories and it's kind of it's a little bit heartbreaking because I think about. Kids today this again making me sound old. If you have access to everything else that can distract you as kids do today, would you be missing out on that opportunity to explore storytelling Uh, or does maybe the storytelling take on a new form. But it just strikes me that the number of people I've talked to who had nothing but books and I'm like, well, what if you had, (laughs) what if you had a smartphone, do you think you would have become a writer? Um, So yeah, so that's interesting. But yeah, writers are fascinating people, whether they're nonfiction, fiction, whatever journalists, um, you know, the ability to, to weave a story um, is an incredibly powerful thing. So I find, I find talking to writers pretty interesting.
1: So what do you think? do you think the devices are spoiling storytelling or do you think it will just evolve into something different i think it's both
0: you know because i think we will we will always lament um you know one thing or another that kids these days are doing and that's maybe a little bit myopic to to kind of take that stance constantly but i i see it evidenced uh well it's it's actually kind of interesting with how i write and i don't do this purposely but i do write um short chapters i don't do a lot of description i write very rapid fire um i try to be evocative but i you know i you're not going to get weighed down in the description of a flower bed in my books and i think people gravitate to that (laughs) because i think generally speaking people have shorter attention spans today than they did 10 15 20 years ago um so i think storytelling is going to become or is continuously becoming a little bit more bite-sized at a time. Um, and I know I'm guilty of that in terms of what I read as well. Um, so, but yeah, it will always be there. It's just what form is, that? I mean, you know, the form today is TikTok videos. I mean, that's storytelling and it gets millions and millions and millions of views and there's nothing wrong with that. But nobody's really just sitting down and, <laughs> and really just getting lost in something that takes them away for hours at a time, and that's that's a little sad.
1: Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm I'm I don't know how I feel about it honestly. I mean, the uh, if you think about all the generations up until, say, our parents, the, the changes between those generations were pretty minor. Uh, we didn't even have quote unquote teenagers until the fifties, right? Like every generation was pretty close to the one behind it. Right. It feels like we're moving through multiple generations in a short period of years in that our childhood is indecipherable to our children's childhood. And I, I just have to wonder, like, I know people have always said like, oh, everyone always says books are, books are done. And, but I feel like we could be at a tipping point. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I was having this discussion with DP Lyle a couple of days ago, we were talking about how writers, the writers that we know, you know, are, tend to be very, Um, generous with their time. They will help other writers. They will teach classes for free. Um, They will promote one another's books, even if they're um, quote unquote competitive. Um, You know, I don't really believe about competition amongst books because I feel like no one's not buying my book because they bought that other book and they don't have any money left. Um, But, you know, and I think as writers, we need to continue to do that to support you know, reading as a whole, because I think what writers truly compete with is every other thing that competes with everyone's uh, attention. So we're competing with Instagram more than we're competing with each other. Uh, I mean, so just getting people to read and stay reading, I think is, is a, a huge task, but it's, it's a task worth fighting for constantly.
1: Totally. It totally is. I don't want to uh, I don't want to end the interview sounding like two old men. So I'm going to ask you a, <laughs> a more forward focused question to finish this off. Sure. Here. Uh, given all the changes, given the way technology has gone, uh, what's the future of publishing look like? What uh, a year out, two years out, five years out, however you want to tackle it.
0: God, that's a great question because I've been trying to wrap my mind around how the publishing industry works for twenty years, <laughs> and it's a very opaque industry um, with a lot of extremely smart and underpaid people behind the scenes um, who are trying to generate the best output for the readers. Um, I think I think I think it will kind of continue on on its path. You know, I, I don't necessarily, you know, the trend now. I feel like audiobooks are really taking off. Um, and people are consuming that uh, on their commutes and 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 in their free time rather than the physical act of reading. I hope that doesn't become the the powerful trend. I would like to. I I'd love to see you know a book in somebody's lap in the coffee shop. And I feel like I don't see that as 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 often anymore. Um, but I, I you know I think people are. I think publishers are going to continue to try to see what the the public wants and 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 deliver it to them as as expeditiously and 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 you know uh cheaply as possible that's the other problem is every all the technology pushes costs of everything down and it still costs a lot of money to physically print and, and produce a, a book um, so you can't really lower those costs a lot so um i don't know i don't know i don't know where i'm going with that but I, it's just more of a fingers crossed i hope nothing gets <laughs> too shitty in the next few years <laughs> Cause I'm still trying to still
1: tell stories. All right, Zach, I'm going to go to you first. Did, this is your opportunity. If you want to, if you want an encore,
3: <laughs> <laughs> you guys are really putting the pressure on me to do this. It's all right. I'll just throw one in the middle of this at some point. Okay. okay? Um, no, he actually, this was a, uh, there was a lot here that, that I, that I found really fascinating. Like this is this was a great interview. Um, I I loved how you guys talked about you know how he's okay with not being full time. Like I think I think that, that was really really awesome. I think that so many uh authors aspire towards that and I get it. I mean like I'm I'm very glad that I I am. You know, but I think that um you don't have to. Like you can you can have another some other things you enjoy doing and Like not, it seems that Carter really, really, (laughs) really enjoys, um, really enjoys like just not having the pressure on himself to write, uh, to to have, to have to write, to really like make his living that way. Um, and, and it goes to what JD was saying before. Like he doesn't, you know, if, if he was, if he was in a position where, um, you know, he was really just trying to write to, it was like, he was dependent on it. Um, he would probably, he probably would be, maybe would be writing series and wouldn't be writing these standalones, which obviously, um, bring him a lot of joy. I get that. Like, I, I love the idea of just writing a standalone and jumping into another world every time I'd rather do that, but I'm on the opposite end where I'm like, okay, well I have to write in series because this is what I want to do full time. And I have my reasons just like he has his reasons why he does like he he was really honest admit he's like i would have to make a lot of money to live the lifestyle i want to live as a full-time writer dude that's awesome that he was willing to admit that you know like i know you know jay and i have talked about this a lot for me like i would rather be able to do this full-time and own my time and not have another job so like it's you know but i understand what comes with that and so does he i thought that was really awesome so
2: yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's we we haven't talked about it a whole lot, but you know, like my wife and I, we made some conscious decisions early on to you know go into real estate, go into you know the, the, the stock market. Um, we've got a lot of different things that are are kind of paying the bills right now. Um, you know, but it, it's, it's still it brings a, a certain set of headaches. I mean, like she just bought another another property, uh, and we always put mortgages on these properties because it's it's a tax deductible thing when you're when you're renting them back out again. Um, you know, so we have to fill out all this paperwork and we have to show all my income and everything. And last year was a, a very strong year for me. I've had four or five seven figure years in the last you know decade. Um, but you know, like when you have to write all that up and give it to the bank, like you know, they asked me like, well, okay, what about next year? And like, I literally can't show them what I'm going to make next yeah. year because it's all royalty based, it's all advance based, it's all based on sales happening in this country or that country, and there's just there's no way to you know to guess. I mean, I'm I, I know it's going to be good, but you know they, they don't care. You know, you, like you can't tell them that. Um, so there's there's a lot of stresses that come along with it too.
1: I don't want to I don't want to hijack the takeaways from from uh, Carter's interview because he was an incredible human. I love talking to him. But JD, I want to. I wanna ask you about that, um, specifically what you just mentioned, because I think that's something that a lot of people don't think about. What kind of pressure do you feel knowing that like, you had these very successful years? Like, what, what kind of pressure's on you to continue doing that? I don't know, like, because we did where
2: we do so much in real estate. I don't think I have those those types of pressures. Like, I could literally stop working right now and spend the rest of my life and not have to do anything if I wanted to do that. Um, But you know, the real estate is a big part of that. Like, I know if even if I do that, books are selling you know great today. But you know, if I don't keep putting books in that pipeline, you know, four or five years from now, those sales are going to trickle and and disappear. Like, you know, I I have that same tale that everybody else sees. Um, I'm just I'm starting at a at a different place. you know, so I, I think if, if if it was my only source of income, it would be stressful for sure. Um, not knowing where the you know the next dollar is coming from um, you know that's one of the reasons why we did what we did and I'm, I'm thrilled that we we did this um, and I've you know I, I talk to authors all the time you know it's early on in their career and try to get them to do it too you know if you get that big payday you get a half million dollar advance take it and invest it put it in something that's going to create passive income try to live off of that passive income so that everything else that's coming in is gravy um, You know, there's a lot of ways to structure that or you could just take it put it in your checking account and then you know slowly chip away at it and you know that, that half million dollars will be gone before you know it so you know th- those are conscious thoughts I think you have to, to make if you're self-employed in, in anything you know and then you're, you're also you're paying Social Security you're paying you know your own health care like there's so many different aspects of it you have to consider um, so you definitely need to look at all that stuff and you know in advance before you, you head in that route um, not, not to, to zig and zag here but like you brought up his mailing list and like I wish I could maintain my mailing list as well as this guy um, you know, like I, it's always an afterthought for me. I don't know about the two of you, but you know, like uh, if I've got a book that's coming out, you know, I, I, I make a note to get a pre-release, you know, email out another one on release date. But more or less, that that's it for me. Um, when I first started the mailing list, I tried to stay in front of everybody. I was doing blog posts like everybody else was, and you know, writing stuff up and putting it out there. But like it just felt like it was eating too much into my time, and I just couldn't couldn't maintain that. Um, so, yeah, do you guys do all that stuff at this point too, or, or no?
1: Well, I.
3: Zach you go first well I was gonna say I think uh I mean I mean I can tell you're about to say not really but (laughs) but I think traditionally you actually have been really good at this though
1: that that's what I was gonna say so I was gonna say you should mention that I have but I think like like JD said um it's you don't get a lot of feedback like even in a highly engaged list you you don't you don't know if people are paying attention or not and it's Psychologically, it's hard to motivate to take time away from writing or coaching or teaching for me to write a newsletter that I don't know if anyone's even going to pay attention to. Like week after week, month after month, year after year to keep doing that, to have that kind of discipline without any sort of without a lot of feedback. It's hard. It's just psychologically. It's hard to motivate, at least for me. Anyways, it's it's hard to keep that up.
2: I think I, I pulled back on it because I realized what I was doing as a consumer, you know, like I would, I subscribed to a lot of those back then and they would come into my inbox and I might read the first sentence before I hit the delete key. Sometimes I didn't even get that far. Um, you know, and there were dozens of them literally that, you know, were coming in that like I literally hit delete the very first second it popped in my inbox without looking at any of the text. Um, you know, so they just, you know, I, I figured that other people were on the flip side of that. That's you know, doing dangerous the exact same to do thing mine. Though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I probably missed some stuff. But yeah, like, you know, but certain ones did stick out there. You know, like I had a couple that I, I still read today. That you know, they're really funny. You know, like or or something in in there. You know, is illuminating in some way or another. Or I'm getting a useful be you know piece of information that I wouldn't get from anywhere else. Um, but you know, I whittled that down from you know probably fifty to hundred over the, you know the course of the last couple of years to maybe two or three that I actually pay attention to now. Um, so, you know, I, I guess if you've got the, the angle, and I, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, if, if you do get that right, you know, you're going to see it on the, on the growth side. I think people are going to be adding themselves to your mailing list because of word of mouth, um, you know, things like that. So you're going to see your list actually growing because, you know, your readers are reading it they're telling other people about it, just like selling books. And then that's causing more people to jump on that list. But I think if your, your numbers are fairly stagnant or you send one out and you see 10 or 12 unsubscribes every single time you, you kick one out, um, you know, you may want to reevaluate that.
3: Yeah. I know, I know for me, I mean, I'm more like, um, you know, I, I don't, I, I never really set an expectation of like, I'm going to hit you up on this date and this date every single month. Like I, I just kind of hit my list when I have something to tell them. And usually it's, um, it's either updates of books I'm working on, which will be like, I usually will send an email like when I have a title and then, you know, give them like a time frame. Then when I, ha- I'll do a cover reveal and then, you know, if it's a later book in the series, like I have one going out tomorrow, that's like this book's up for pre-order, and stuff like that. But I'm not like just looking for things to tell them because I've like I'm gonna hit you up on you know the first Monday and the third Monday of the month or whatever like that. You know, so. But um, not that there's anything wrong with that. Like I mean, because if you set those expectations, you should definitely stay to this, stay with them. But uh, yeah, it's it's a tricky thing because I'm like you too, J D, where I'm like I kind of look at my own habits. But then, you know, a lot of data that's out there goes against our own habits. Like, Jay, I know we've talked about before, I think it's like pop-up boxes or something. Like, how, how well, and like, who likes pop-up boxes? Like, I, you know, they're annoying, but they work. Like, all the data says, like, if you have one on your, ma- your website for your mailing list, like, they 100% convert. Not, well, they don't convert 100%, but they, they definitely work.
2: I've got a confession to make there because we talked about it on the air, and I was, you know, adamantly adamantly against having a pop-up box. But you guys kind of convinced me, so I threw it on there, and I almost saw a double in the number of people subscribing to my my mailing list on a weekly basis. So, <laughs> as much as I hate them, like you just said, they they do work, you know. So you, you gotta you gotta weigh that. Um, one of the other things that he brought up that I never really thought about before, but you know, he said he looks at his next book as being, you know, like the big one. Like this, this could be you know, almost like a lottery ticket that he's he's printing himself. Um, and you know, I think we all kind of do that to a certain extent because until you send that book off to your agent or your publisher, or you put it out there in the marketplace, it, it could very well be, you know, the next next big book that's that's coming out. It could be that, that big lottery ticket. Uh, I think that could be a driving factor for a lot of people as as well. I just thought that was kind of interesting.
3: Yeah, I, I like too at the and this is towards the end of the interview. I, I really liked when I, I I appreciated the conversation around um, what you guys had around just books in general. Like, are we are we at a tipping point with books? And, um, you know, and, and I was kind of glad uh, I, I was kind of getting frustrated at first because like I was I, I was I felt like that I. Um, like reading and writing was being confused with storytelling, but then I loved what I, one thing I was thinking about. I was like, "Well, I I hate TikTok, but like TikTok is storytelling." And then he said that, and I was like, "Yeah, that's totally true. Like, there's absolutely a different like storytelling is everywhere. I mean, we're we're storytelling is not lost. I mean." you know, I, you know, take a shot, everybody, like I talk about video games, like storytelling is better in video games than ever has been. And that's where I get most of my storytelling influence now and where I'm seeing the most impactful stories. Um, But, but, you know, books and writing, you know, that storytelling is not the same thing as writing necessarily. Um, And so I think that was kind of important to Steve, but that whole conversation around that you guys had was really awesome.
2: I, I think a lot of that is kind of coming down to what we talked about earlier. I think people to a certain extent are realizing that picking up a physical book and reading is, is still very relaxing. Um, you, you don't get relaxed by scrolling TikTok or Facebook or any these other things. Um, so I think, you know, all this stuff in, in a way is kind of finding its its balance. It's just, you know, everything, there, there's more things competing for that attention at this point. There's only 24 hours in a day and, you know, where you used to spend it, you know, hanging out with your friends, reading a book, maybe watching a little television. Now that list is expanded to 30 or 40 different things and you know, you're trying to fit all of them in. I mean, I'm seeing it with my own daughter, you know, like how quickly, like she was telling me about the trip, you know, they were gone for three weeks and like she was jumping like one sentence to the next to the next and like just scrolling through all this stuff, you know, like just, it was almost like flipping channels and like I, I could almost see you know like it, it was uh, it was like scrolling TikTok like listening to my daughter yeah, speak. Yeah that's how my daughter you know? is. Yeah, yeah and it's like it, it it's you know we're met, we're being mentally wired to I think like that and our, our books in a certain way need to reflect that you know like shorter sentences shorter paragraphs like those kind of things that's what you know current readers really want. I know if I pick up a book and I see a chapter that's 20 or 30 pages long like I groan you know like I, w- I want to have that break like I want to know that I can I can close that book you know at, at a certain point like it's those things are changing. Well, and I know too.
3: And I mean, you and, and Jay has said this forever. I mean, I've heard him say this numerous times, but like you even have to put audiobooks in that category. Cause like, listen, an audiobook is not the same thing as sitting, like sitting down with a book. And that's where all your focus is. Cause like so many people read audiobooks and it's like a hack, you know, they do it when they're, there's nothing wrong. I do it like, and, and cause I, I really, and I've, I've definitely gone more to reading recently. like, um, cause I do like the exercise of actually sitting down and concentrating and focusing on just that one thing. But, you know, it, people will read audiobooks when they're jogging or when they're doing dishes or when they're doing that. And it's like, it's great, but it is, that's still a different thing than sitting down with your, you know, Kobo e-reader or your, um, you know, a physical book and reading, you know, it's just a different thing.
2: Well, you know, even with audiobooks, like if I find myself getting bored, I'll change the speed. You know, and I'll, yeah, and I'll bump I'll bump it up to one and a half or, or two times speed or something and get through the book faster. So it's like my, my brain, you know, even if I'm trying to fight it, if I don't want it to happen, like I'm I'm looking for those shorter things too. It's oh, I, yeah. I, you know, some to...
3: some people, <laughs> Jay, <laughs> see that as like a badge of honor to see how fast they can get their podcasts and audiobooks.
1: <laughs> well, I, I think too, it's also what J D mentioned earlier, you know, you, you could be listening to an audio book or playing a video game on your phone and then you're getting text messages and phone yeah. calls and like when you're reading a book, whether it's on a dedicated e-reader or in paper, that's it. Like, there's yep. nothing else happening, and, and that, that's why I think it's sort of an outlier. It's a special thing, because if you think about all the other forms of, of entertainment that we consume, uh, the majority of those are on devices that have multiple functions, and so you're constantly being barraged with information, distractions, notifications, and uh, you just don't have that with a book.
2: Yeah. Even the multitasking aspect of it, like it, it's difficult for me to sit down and just watch a movie and put my phone off to the side. Like I, the phone is like usually still in my hand, you know, even if I'm not doing anything, like it's like, it's a comfort thing. Like it, I, I need to have it with me. It's like my security blanket at this point. See,
3: I, I have a rule where like when I'm doing family time and stuff, I leave my phone plugged into my office, like in, in the plug behind me and I cannot remove it from that plug. Like if I, if I need to get up and check my phone for something, I'll get up, but I, I have to stand there and do it. And that keeps me, that that's the boundary I set. Cause then like I'm way less
2: likely to get up off the couch and stuff. So, you know, that's a good idea. Like we, we don't allow them at the dinner table. Like that's kind of the only place where we, we don't do it, but it, it's good. I think to put them aside.
3: Yeah. You should have entered our Kobo reader contest a few weeks ago <laughs> so you could stop reading on your phone.
2: <laughs> well, I've always got it in my hand, so it's accessible.
1: Uh. Yeah, I I like that was a really well done there, Zach. Uh, You know, dropping our little uh, sponsors device in there instead of the uh, the the competition's device. I mean, you know, it's nice. Shout out to Tara. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I would like to uh, just uh, thank Carter for coming on, Uh, guys. Definitely, if you're looking for like if you're looking to be schooled in how to write an engaging uh, email to your fiction audience, subscribe to Carter's email. Like he's he's doing he's doing everything right. Definitely, definitely worth learning from him and just a wonderful, well-rounded human and uh, was really a joy to talk to. So,
2: J.D., who do we got up next week? Next week we've got James Rollins coming back, uh, number one New York Times bestseller. He's sold more than 20 million books at this point. Um, but here's the cool fun fact. He's still a licensed veterinarian. So, I guess he's holding on to that day job just in case. <laughs> 20 million books behind him. I, I think he's, a, he's doing okay. Um, his latest novel is called Kingdom of Bones. Um, it's number 16 in his Sigma Force uh, series,
1: and it releases um, April 19th. Awesome. All right. Well, to our listeners, if you'd like to be notified as soon as new episodes publish, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and sign up now. We'll see you next episode, and have a great week of writing. Thanks for
0: listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.